Welcome to the Coach Fury Podcast. This is where fitness and geekdom collide. It's time to live long, be strong, and die mighty. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 76 of the Coach Fury Podcast. Today's guest is my buddy, Mike Baranis, also known as the Stoke Brogy, owner of, co-owner of Stoke Athletics out in Long Island. Mike's a great guy, and we have a really good chat about uh, how he runs his business, about expansion, about how I'm thinking about getting an exterior space, and uh, online coaching. So it's a great chat. Before we get to Mike and I, uh, look, uh, if you want to check out... Uh, any courses I have coming up, uh, want to sign up for the online training crew. I have a few spots available. You guys that listen know that I don't. All right, fuck it. Um, guys, uh, I'm having a really hard time with this announcement. Um, so last week, Kim, my wife, was the guest. And we recorded that on a Sunday. And then the following Thursday, her dad died. Uh, and basically from that Monday on, it was perpetual calls to the hospital, uh, to his nursing home, to be like, this might be it. And... Uh, Frank was a great guy. I wish I got to know him more. And it's been tough. And this is only coming a few weeks after Landon passed. And today, while I record this, is the fifth anniversary of me losing one of my best friends, Lance, uh, who used to work at Five Points Academy with me. And uh, I'm not going to lie. I hate doing these announcements at times. It's the least fun because I feel like I'm talking about myself. And and, and I don't know where the line is between expressing my uh, emotions uh, outside of the actual conversation and right now, but uh, I'm not going to lie, uh, fucking January, February kind of suck uh, for me, and I do try to look on the bright side, but now kicking off at the end of January with the passing of Landon, that's quickly followed by losing my friend Patrick You know, a few years earlier, well, you wouldn't know that, but um, losing my friend Patrick, and now Kim's dad, and now it's Lance's uh, anniversary of his passing, and... It just sucks. Uh, I guess it's part of getting older uh, that it's unavoidable as people age and and, and the possibility of randomness and, and tragedy increase over time. So I don't know really where I want to go. I just felt like I needed to get that off my chest. Um, much love to Kim, obviously. Um, for those that have reached out to us, um, thank you. It's super appreciated. His funeral is going to be uh, March 4th. Um, at 11.30 to 12 at, uh, in Stamford, Connecticut. If anybody wants to come, you can hit me up for info on that. Yeah, guys, uh, I don't want to bring it down uh, any further than I have. I swear this is a fun conversation <laughs> with Mike and I. Thanks for hearing me out. Uh, I love you. I appreciate you. Visit CoachFury.com if you're interested in training or uh, anything that I've done lately. I don't know. Is, is putting this out unprofessional? I don't know. But uh, fuck it. It's my show. Rest in peace, Frank. Rest in peace, Lance. Uh, miss you guys. <sighs> now let's shake this shit out and let's have a good episode with the Stoke Brogy, Mike Moranis. Check it out. Get this shit started. Hey, tell the listeners who you are and where you're at. So my name is Mike Baranis. Um, I'm also known as the Stoked Brogy, Broke Stogalicious, uh, Stoked Brogerson the Third. Um, I'm out in Long Island. I co-own Stoked Athletics, which is 
uh, a gym out here, as well as an online training platform uh, where we work with adults, athletes, and uh, a big amount of powerlifters as well with my buddy, Matt Cronin. Uh, and I'm yeah out on Long Island, West Babylon, New York, um, not too far away from you. No, we've got a we've got a heavy crew of Long Island, either natives or current residents, have been on this show between you and Cooper and uh, K Cal. Yeah, that's right. Well, yeah. I was basically I grew up about what fifteen minutes from you. Where were you? Uh, I was in Levittown. Oh, okay, the first uh, suburb there. Yeah. The first suburb, folks. There's an interesting documentary if you want to see about my, learn about my town called Wonderland. Uh, and I mean it, it's actually pretty fascinating. It's not like a pure historical thing. It's like you learn about how swinging was apparently very big in Levittown. Really? And, uh, th this girl that I was friends with growing up in uh, elementary school, Keelan Kernick, is on it as a, as a model or a beauty pageant contestant. Hey, Keelan, if you, I don't know why you would ever listen to this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we stopped hanging out like before junior high. Uh, but yeah, it's a pretty interesting town. It was all farms and then it just built up. But I guess that's becoming more and more of the common now is like suburban sprawl fills into outer reaches of everywhere. It's, it's so crazy looking back at pictures, even like there's a museum like right up the road for me that covers a lot of the towns around here. So like if I have nothing to do in the middle of the day, I'll just stroll over there and like look in and stuff and go through their pictures. And they have uh, a computer where you can just press through the towns and see like even 50 years ago, how much just farm Long Island was. And now I'm like, where is this going? <laughs> what more can we do here? It's weird. It, you really start to see where it become, it could become things like the mega cities and Judge Dredd, where it's just building on top of, on top of, on top of, because at some point you're going to have your center point branching outward, hit the water, at some point, that water is going to come in and eliminate, and everybody yeah. have to kind of center up again and go up. Yeah, so I'm I'm sure you're happy about the whole Amazon uh, back out then, especially in in your neck of the woods. You know, I got to be honest with Amazon. So, folks, uh, if geographically speaking, Amazon had agreed and won a bid to do, or New York won the bid. I don't know how that works to to basically become the the second major hub of Amazon, and it was mm -hmm. going to bring in a shit ton of jobs. Um, it was probably going to really f fuck with gentrification in terms of pushing a lot of people out. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I had mixed emotions with the whole Amazon thing, including myself, because I, you know, I almost feel bad admitting it. I use Amazon a lot. And yeah, of course. Because as you and I are small business owners, Amazon kind of is the death to small business. Now we're in the difference of we provide a service that probably will get taken out electronically before it gets taken out physically like that like so if you're as i'm a as a i'm a ball guy but i'm probably always gonna like somebody's always gonna need a haircut uh -huh. to some degree people are gonna want in-person classes or training i think no matter how digital and holographic things get i think there's only gonna be a slight there's always gonna be a slight demand for that i just think i do think it's gonna lessen to some degree um not classes so much as personal or semi-private training but man, if you have like a brick and mortar store, you know, I, I mean, I think of all the stores that I wanted to run as a kid and they're all like basically zero possibility. I don't want to say zero possibilities. Yeah, but it's way harder. Before I got into fitness and I was looking at what I wanted to do as a career, I was like comic book shop, really not profitable in any way. And I don't mean about making like a ton of money, but like supporting the business and being able to like put my kids through college, right? Like I'm yeah. not a, I don't need fancy cars or anything. Um, comic book shop, eh record store good luck with that <laughs> skate park really looked into it the rent alone means i'd have to like 
set that up for the highest level of uh, financially gifted parents. Yeah. Pretty much goes against the whole reason most of us got into skateboarding. Yeah. So, uh, and tattooing, I actually spoke to somebody about partnering up, but I'm not the artist. Like I'm the least most important, least important person there. Um, so fitness is what, when I found it and really started getting into it, it was kind of like, oh, this can happen. So Amazon and I think having that headquarters move in, I'm less concerned about the tax cuts that were being presented because let's face it, I think almost any business comes in, gets these massive tax breaks. Of course. Whether they need it or not, that shit's always going on. Um, but I would like to see that that would still equate to small businesses staying successful. I, I don't know if it does though, because I just think that's a, almost a dying breed in a way. Um, I'd like to think that there's going to be a comeback. I also do predict some Mad Max slight mad max style drop that's going to happen what do you mean i think the economy is going to crash bigger than our generations have seen it okay everyone talks about like 2008 as the big one and you know i'm not gonna lie like through my career i kind of rolled through that one pretty easily um but when you think back if i started when i started going to concerts in the city in the mid late 90s mostly in the late sorry mid late 80s mostly towards the late 80s and early 90s like i've gotten a C times square what it was like or closer to what it was like people don't remember how sketchy like oh, in like the 70s early 80s yeah but even into the mid late 80s there was like a lot of like gnarly stuff happening and now it's all fancy like yeah really bizarre but i don't think <laughs> there goes my wife behind it <laughs> uh, i don't think that's impossible that that would happen again uh i don't mean that as a negative i actually think it might be like a good purge in a weird way it's a good a good reality check because a, a lot of what happens ends up just being this like almost fantasy of what um i guess companies want us to have and how they want us to consume and all that stuff and into a, a percent we buy into that just like like how sustainable is amazon next day delivery like I, was, I just did the order of shirts and i was like oh shit i'm out of uh print slip rolls so i hit the next day delivery and of course it's right there and i'm like how sustainable and then it's kind of like you're like wow amazon has all these tax breaks, fuck that. But then I'm like, oh, this is how it's possible, you know, because they don't have to worry about that. But how sustainable is that model? You know what I found out though? You know how Amazon actually makes its money? I think I heard this on the Joe Rogan podcast and, and then I'm, I'm training somebody that's in uh, development. Uh, dude, they make it on cloud storage. Like they make it on selling something completely outside of what we view Amazon as being as a company. And what does they, that mean? It, it's like they literally, for, for massive companies, they sell cloud storage in the skies digital hosting it's like a, oh, so the digital marketplace that they have it's yeah, just that you post your picture on there your description on there well, there's, yeah there's like just a whole other source that companies can can rent space upon just like we would on apple on on like your cloud account so yeah. they have this back end like you know uh, i don't know if you call it electronic systems infrastructure that they people people buy different than just the retail merchandising that you and i deal with it uh it's kind of crazy and you know it's always weird. Yeah, I'm already starting to see, and this is where, uh, you know, social media starts to suck again, is you're starting to see a lot of the political things starting to pop up again now that like everyone's mm -hmm. coming into the race. I'm seeing like a lot of anti-Pernie stuff. And so this is where it gets ugly. But when you think about, and I, I had this talk, like talk to myself actually in my own head, you know, when you think about when people complain that it would be un unfair to tax a super wealthy person more, right? And we just mentioned that, you know, we don't need to make a shit ton of money. We just want to live like comfortably, right? So yeah. $70 million 
Do you think you could actually miss $20 million? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, dude, I just like putting it in the context of what a high number that is. Like seven, say, say 70 million net worth and, and someone takes 20. Do you think that like has any effect on your day to day? My original thought to that was like, well, if I had $7, would I miss two? But it's not even the same thing because the amount of things that we buy with a $2 bill is not the same amount of things that everybody's buying with. A, nobody's buying like $20 million build things, you know? So it's like really hard to put that in perspective because you still have the 50 million that you're going to get all of your baseline things out of the way and, and all your, what more luxury is there? Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing, right? It's like, it's like having a heavy ass deadlift. If you're not competing, there's a point of diminishing return. Like, so you got to fucking say you got like a fucking quadruple body, de body weight deadlift. At, yeah. at some point, if you, if you pull a hundred pounds off of it after you stop competing, does it matter anymore? Yeah, you're still the strongest guy in your gym, you know? Yeah, right? And I just, you know, so when they talk about this dude, uh, you know, from from Amazon and, and you know, the divorce he's, he's about to go through and she's going to take half because she's been there since the beginning uh, and an active member, it's like, that's billions of dollars. So if you had, I don't know how much it is, but say, say for example, like $60 billion and someone took $30 billion from you, you, I don't even know how you could like, if, if you took a private jumbo jet and like a, a your own personalized GI Joe vehicle that you had custom built every day, everywhere. I don't know if you could spend a billion dollars a year. Yeah. How, what would you need to do to spend that? That's a, that's a good point. I don't know. You know, so I, that's where I start to just to bring this around in the, like the Amazon and political thing. Yeah. Part of me is like, you know, there's just a lot of people that could help a lot of people with giving a little bit of what their average thing is. Like most of my friends I'd say are probably lower to middle income. You know, there's some people that peek in. I'm sure we have clients in particular that can afford our services. And, you know, like I know when like a GoFundMe comes up, like I know like people pitch in five, 10, 20, 50 bucks. Now, I know my salary is nowhere near having $30 billion. So why can't that be like, here's like $10 million. And I just think there's so many ways that we could solve problems that way. Yeah. Um, but I also know that that might be just super naive. And I think you and I are in professions where I think like if somebody could financially help with like a health issue, we would take it or to open a gym, we would take it. I think we still want to work our asses off to be good at what we do. Whereas I know part of the problem people have is like, they think people are just going to get lazy and shit. And how do you, how do you safety check that? I don't know. Um, but it just had me wondering, like, like, so what was it? Kim was saying, Carl Lagerfeld died, A, you know, the designer, A, so many people were like sad about it. Apparently he was a total asshole in real life. And it just, oh, yeah, yeah. so there's that, you know, I never met the cat. So, um, you know, cheers to anybody affected. <laughs> you know, I'm dealing with a loss in the family right now. So like, I get it. Uh, but apparently he left like billions of dollars to his cats or his cat. To, I didn't read the story yet. And I'm like, how fucked is that? Right? Like if you had, just ten billion dollars, and you could donate it out. Now nobody fact check this shit. I really don't care if I'm right on the money, but it's yeah. being really wealthy and then leaving your money to an animal. Yeah. Versus, oh, there's a college that or a high school or somebody needs a preschool. Oh, you're in design. How about like make a wing on FIT or something that could help people, right? Well, yeah, where does it? Where do you think the delusion comes to somebody who wants to get into that much money? Or do you think it's it's probably just how they've always been? 
I don't know. Like, I don't know backgrounds. I think for a lot of people, no one expects to make that money. You know, yeah. like th that's the other thing. Like a lot of people that come up from nothing, I, I don't think we realize how nothing that is. Like, you know, going back to Lower East Side back in the seventies and stuff when you had all these like, you know, punk bands and artists just hanging out together collectively, living in squats and like hundred dollar a month apartments that, you know, they were building up. And I've got friends that like lived through that stuff. You know, and some of them, like, like think of the Beastie Boys, for example. I mean, well, they were middle-income families. But, like, how do you know, like, you're just into music and suddenly you're the band that sticks? You're into art yeah. and suddenly the guy who's selling, you know, million-dollar pieces. How do you fucking prepare for that? You know, how yeah. do you prepare to be the friend that doesn't make that? You know, like, when, like, seven people come up and then suddenly they're all famous in one way doing well. And then do they even do well, some people? I don't know. I feel like there's a ton of, like, musical legends that I would imagine you and I are probably both into in, like, the punk rock scene and stuff and metal scene that had hits and toured and are probably broke as fuck right now. And I'm like, how does that happen? Yeah, it's pretty crazy when you look at somebody that even, like, uh, what was I looking at the other day? But even, like, call it, like, C-list movie stars and stuff. And you're like, wow, this person probably has a mansion. Like, whatever, like, for whatever reason, we have this idea that anybody we see on a television show or anybody we see, like, in the music industry has all this money and stuff. And, like, a lot of the times, they, they probably don't, you know, it's, it's not paying as well as we think it is. It, it, so I don't know how they... I don't it's go all about. relative. One of the first jobs I had out of college was I was an assistant talent agent at a, at a talent agency. We had some, some, some solid people. We, we, my department dealt with movies, TV, and theater. And we had some very famous Broadway talent, like uh, Elaine Stritch, who's like, she's no longer with us, rest in peace, but she's like a legend of Broadway. We had James Gandolfini prior to Soprano. So this is when he was showing up in like True Romance and what was the, uh, in, to get shorty or be cool that he was in but he was somebody at uh and crimson tide he was like somebody that was starting to show up we had mark margolis from um fuck scarface and at that point i remembered him more from being he was a landlord and ace ventura pet detective the first okay time. so we just had these people but then i was dealing a lot with like younger actors right like my age maybe a little younger give or take two years three years ahead or back right and they would get this gig that would pay like 850 a day and it would be like you know, maybe a, a three week gig. And that's like a good paycheck. Some of those folks were super nice to me. And some of those folks fucking talked down to me really hard. And I'm like, you're making a lot of money in a really small window of time that you might not make again for the rest of this year. I'm making a, a, a low income salary, but I'm going to be working consecutively through this period yeah. of time. Like, don't act like you're making it better than I am right now, because I at least know my next check's coming in. And that's not to judge. It was how I was being viewed at sometimes. And I think people have that thing where, I don't know, money's a real, a real weird one when it comes to, I think there's like the American dream of where we think what we need, what we want, you know, whether it's the house, you know, the wife, partner, whatever, um, you know, kids and car and all that stuff. And then I mm -hmm. think there's the reality of like, you could have a really nice house, house really nice car and be miserable and so that becomes irrelevant and then i think there's just competition like i think we're set up as a country where we want to compete um, yeah you know you you, you kind of whether it's athletics or, or or career positions and titles you you get caught in competition and i've never been a super competitive guy i think but i definitely know my ego gets in the way of some shit where sometimes i'll be like why does that person have that and i don't have it 
I find that a lot with like looking at other businesses too. Like my gut instinct is always there's seven and a half million people on Long Island alone. Like we're all going to do it right. You know, but every now and then it gets to you where you're like, wow, that person's doing really well. All right. What are they doing? What should I be doing better than that? You know? And it, it almost gets locked in your head that I, I, I get this like competitive feel against all these businesses, which at times I think is a really cool thing because then it makes me kind of forces me to work harder. But at other times I'm like, it's kind of straying away from that, uh, uh, that mindset of, I think it was Mark Fisher and, and Michael Killer did that presentation on like, don't follow the money, follow the magic or whatever it was where like, that nah, shouldn't even matter what they're getting out of this, you know, like just keep training your people, keep, you know, making your clients happy. And again, there's seven and a half million people on this island. You'll be fine. Yeah. But, it's, it's the approach of abundance over scarcity. Yeah. Like, there's enough people that we can all train. But there's also when the checks come in or the bills come in, you're like, shit. Yeah. And it's, it's that weird balance that in that stride you have to find a, among that where it's like, I'm doing this for the right reasons, but it's always nice to kind of like see how everybody else is doing too and be like, all right, maybe I should be like working harder. Is that guy working harder than me? Like, do I have more in me? Can I dig deeper into like owning a business and, and, and running this thing? Um, I don't know. And then sometimes you got to get like that humble smack of like, no, nah, it's just about, you know, training your clients. You like, you get like a really nice, like, review from a client you're like all right this is what it's about like fuck everything else you know it's it's super tricky because like we're starting to i'm starting to explore options of, of opening up a space and i, I admittedly folks I, I have no financial investment to put in it like i would absolutely be a sweat equity partner in, in whatever deal we do um and you know i'm starting to look at numbers and i'm starting to look at spaces and i generally run from an abundance mindset you know mm -hmm. there's a there's been a crossfit a massive crossfit that's been, you know, saying they're coming in 2018 for about a year and a half now. So it hasn't happened, might still happen. And it's literally two blocks down for me. And I'm not concerned at all. Hey, we're, I'm, you know, again, I'm still like mostly out of the apartment. So it's a completely different thing. But even if I had a storefront across the street from it, it would be such a completely different thing that I'd be fine. Like I would be, I'd be the counter programming and counterculture to that in a way. Uh, and then some guy opened up a small one person studio, private training only literally a block and a, not even a block and a half, like a block and across the street, directly down my street. And that could be viewed as a competitor, right? But I'm like, good for him. It was actually inspired me. It was hopeful that like, Hey, this guy's got this little one person training studio that he's pulling together. Right. It's a nice mm -hmm. little spot. And that's like, okay, so there's hope there. He must have some sort of low rent. He's, I've seen him with sessions whenever I walk the dog, you know, not that I'm like spying on the cat, but um, you know, all right. And then we, you know, but on the flip side of that, I have very little overhead here right now. Um, and, you know, we just had a bowling party and we had, the, you know, 12 people showed up. We were going to have about 20, but like we have the flu going around and work going around and trainer hours. And I'm like, oh shit, like I've got like a crew. And I don't have that level of overhead to deal with. So like, that's where my thing's at. Um, let me ask you when you, when you think about comparing, and this is, I definitely want to talk to you about your online coaching. Cause I think you and I actually get asked that a lot in strength action. Um, and when you talk about comparing businesses, do you think they're actually that much more successful than you? Or do you think it's just appearance? I think it's, I think it's appearance the same way that you'll, you know, you get hooked on that scroll on social media where you're like, wow, everybody's fucking crushing it right now. What am I doing? But then, you know, you talk to your friends and you hear like what's actually going on behind the scenes. And then you're like, all right, everybody's, you know, chilling. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes I'm looking at people I'm like, well, that is more, um, they are doing better than me, but at the same time, you know, maybe they've been in the game longer or whatever. And it's like, everybody's on their own storyline. So maybe it doesn't even fucking matter, you know? And you never, and you know, my whole thing is, is I try to go like, okay, I wonder when I look at a rent, 
I go, okay, so this is probably roughly X amount. And I might be making up numbers in my head, but I'll be, the, the, the biggest thing out here, I don't know how it is in your part of Long Island. I, Long Island rent really shifts depending on where you are more than out here. Here it's fucking pretty insane, um, which makes a lot of things not feasible because I think rent is the killer of gyms, uh, probably more so than anything else if you're a qualified coach. And you know, I'll be like, okay, so it's about that much. And they have this much staff. How many members do they have? And I think there's this misconception too about how many members people actually have. Like when somebody opens a gym, I think having 20 to 30 members is actually pretty fucking huge yeah. at the start. Whereas I think people open a gym having fewer than that, or they expect there's going to be a huge influx. And I'll just say it even training out of the apartment. I barely grow here. It's like I get a few people and then something, somebody moves out or somebody gets hurt outside of class. Somebody's goals shift. My schedule is super limited. Um, so I didn't expect quick growth here, but I didn't expect the slow growth, the as slow growth. And I, I'm always trying to gauge that on other people. And I also wonder, well, where'd their start, startup money come from? You know, how are they, how are they floating this yeah. to begin with? Cause I think that's the other thing. If you have like, some sort of higher power in the background, it takes some of the pressure off, at least for two years. I think, you know, I don't think I'd open it, you know, I, I would probably would give myself two years to be successful, um, mm -hmm. to start seeing some like legitimate signs of, of life, um, which I guess may will be eight years full time for me. So this is all pretty new. But what do you think about that? Like, if somebody's thinking about opening a gym, What's a, what are like two pieces of advice you'd give them about like the real reality from a trainer's perspective, who's in the crunch, in the trenches of running your own business. Um, cause I think we tend to make this like common mistakes. Yeah. What are two um, pieces of advice you'd give? Number one is I would say there's only two. Don't try to grow into a space. That's a big one I keep pulling from like Cressy and Strength Faction and all that is, and, and I started, and right now I'm in a thousand square feet in a CrossFit gym. So again, like going back to the whole competition thing, like I don't feel like I'm competing against them at all. I think we have two totally separate goals, but it's a thousand square feet. So it's not, you know, hard to fill up. So I never had this pressure that like, I'm looking at the space. I'm like, why the fuck isn't there more people in here? You know, it's always like a good amount where I'm like, all right, this is perfect. This is exact. If there's one person here, great. If there's four people in here, awesome. You know, because I run the semi-private out of that. Um, and then I would say, don't fall in love with a space, especially when the money's not right. Because I think we can, we can look at a space and I'm looking at new spaces now for 2020. And I'm like, looking at maybe like 1500 square feet, 2000 square feet. I'm trying to like narrow down where exactly I want. And I'll see a space and it's like, 2000 square feet and it's perfectly on the intersection of what I think would be the best intersection though the you know the, the uh, foot traffic would be great and all the stuff and I have to take a step back and I have to remember like okay but then that's a lot more rent that's that's a lot more bills that you're going to be sitting there and that's going to be you chasing the money rather than chasing just good coaching and quality coaching from there so I think it's it's you know if you're a great trainer and or you know you have your your morals right i think your business is going to grow regardless so don't worry so much especially at first about the foot traffic because i'm in an industrial area in the back of a crossfit and in year one of business i feel like i've put myself in a position i'm pretty proud of so i don't think it's about having that like that space that you know i have no signage nothing like that so 
I think if you're just focusing on the training and you're not trying to fill up a space, I think it's a little bit easier on your mind and to avoid burnout to grow. And again, this is coming from only a year I've been on my own. So it's who knows what I'll say a year from now or, or two years from now, what my two pieces of advice would be, but I would, I would keep to those two mainly. I think the rent thing in particular, both are huge points, but the rent thing and the size thing, I think are huge. I was talking with somebody and, and one of the things that I think about is like my business model can change. Like I could probably like, again, the way fewer industries runs right now, I could function in a 600 square foot place right now, which is crazy small, but like I, my, my current model would just plug and play there, but I would have the overhead. So then I have limited capacity of growth. How exactly do you run it now? Sorry. To some degree. Well, I have a personal training room in the apartment and then I can move some stuff around and I do classes in the apartment. Um, and I could fit up to six people in a class. And the trick with that is, is, you know, again, it's like providing good coaching. When the people come, they love it. Uh, it creates this total environment and family culture. Cause it's like, you're, you're in my living room for part of it, or you're in the, you know, the, the back room, which is like a dedicated personal training area. And, but I would like that, like the having it inside has its limitations, right? So I would like to get an exterior space, but because I've already set up this expectation of, we call ourselves the speakeasy of strength or speakeasy strength, um, which is sort of the nickname that Fury Industries became being here is, you know, I don't need the, like the foot traffic part I can sacrifice on the rent. As long as I have a spot, like what I need is more class availability and people to be able to like, oh, I heard of this place. Let's go in and look. Like you can't just look at my place right now because you're you're coming over to my apartment. Yeah, you know what I mean. So <laughs> making food and you're like, "What's up, man?" Yeah, what's up? Just people buzzing my, you know, hit my buzzer. Um, but I can I've set up a you know a culture and environment that at least for the first location, like I could play with like a basement space or a second floor space or or, or an around the way. Like part of me would love the idea of like you know that that scene in Goodfellas where people have to walk through like a fucking kitchen, kitchen yeah. to go into the gym, right? Like I I dig that. Some people are listening are like, Fury, that's a horrible idea, but I, I could make that work. Um, the trick here is like rent's insane. Like they want, you know, $1,200 to $1,500 for like literally like a 250 to like 600 square foot spot. And to get that type of, you know, membership in where I'm not just breaking even, but I'm also profiting is, is, is rough. And there's a few people I want to bring in from a staff, you know, and co-training perspective so that I'm not doing the whole thing. So those costs come, in, come into play. Uh, and then there is, there is a bonus on a space thing for me where if I got just a big enough space, I don't mean huge, but like if I could run my own workshops there, that would make sense with my other involvement in the groups that yeah. I teach for. Um, I would love to be able to host like, you know, RKCs, HKCs, original strength courses, DVRT stuff and strength faction seminars one day. But I don't think it's realistic that I'd have a space that big uh, to do that any time in the near future i think that would be like grow out of my whatever my first spot is into the second yeah it's so funny you mentioned the the basement thing because i've i've had this like dream so i don't know if you like see the the one taco joint i shot from the top of mountains all the time 12 taco mm -hmm. from babylon i absolutely love that place and me and my girlfriend go there all, like probably like two to three times a week um and i've had this like dream of like they're in the back of an alley and they are insanely profitable. They have such a great business. Like their following is great. And like, I have this idea, like how you're saying, like the whole like speakeasy thing, like of being in the basement of swell, like you go to the alley, there's just a blank door with a, a finger with a, over the mouth, like, shh, 
and you just open the door and stoked out likes is down there fucking rocking like and i love that idea because it almost is a uh it says how great of your environment and culture that you've created if you know people are coming to your apartment to train like that's so sick where most people would probably be like no you can't make that happen like you're making it happen you know yeah, it's it's all the, the the great and the bad about it is is it is such a unique experience. And look, if I if if it, I don't want this to sound like bragging, but if you're gonna like take a kettlebell class that uses ultimate sandbags, Indian clubs, and OS, like I, I'm the fucking guy in Brooklyn to do that. You know what I mean? I mean, like who else is gonna have the experience in that that I have? At least in terms of those, if you're going to like for only lift, lifting and some other stuff. Like there's the powerlifting. There's gonna be better people. But for that stuff, like this is perfect, right? So I'll also say that my, my rates aren't are, are very reasonable, but they're not cheap. I didn't do like the typical trainer thing where people like undersell themselves so deeply because, well, it's in my home, so I'll do it for this. It's like, no, it still has to be worth my time. You know, so even if it's a small group class with up to six people, and most of our classes are like one to three um, as we're growing, you know, I, I need to make sure that that per mat dollar coming in is worthwhile for my hour of time otherwise i could try to invest it somewhere else oddly enough personal training's been picking up lately which has been you know which i know people like to think personal training's dead but still has a purpose out there yeah i think it goes back to um the not to put yourself in a position where you're pressured to fill up spaces because that's when I see people and so many gyms have failed even in Long on Long Island, like in the past year, two years where it's like they, you know, get a investment from, you know, somebody, a friend or their parents or whatever. And then they have this immense pressure to fill up spaces or, or just fill up membership. So they charge so cheap. And then what do you know? You're not making any money. So like having that, uh, you know, lack of pressure due to a, a place that might be in the, you know, in your apartment, in some industrial area, in the back of a CrossFit, whatever, like, helps us charge what we think we're, we're, we should be valued at. And I think that's a huge piece that a lot of people miss. I think it's also, especially for you, where you have this space already, that again, people kind of have to work their way to get it, right? Because so, you don't have science, which we need to talk about, because you're actually great at your branding and stuff. So I'm actually pretty, pretty surprised you don't have signage there. Yeah. But your place, my place, it becomes a proof of concept. Like, are people enjoying the classes? Is my programming okay? Are we seeing results here? Are we creating a community here? Is, are there crossovers? You know what I mean? Like, are people getting referrals? Versus, you know, it seems like this happens less now because there's more boutique studios. But I know when I first got into training, a lot of my friends seem to open places without a whole lot of, like, business background just because they were over being in their big box corporate gym. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it was a lot of like, almost like, you know, angsty, like, screw those guys. I'm going to do things my way and show them versus like really having like a plan of attack. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think even when people borrow money, I don't know if people realize like you might have to borrow enough money to run for one to two years without a check. Yeah. And that you have to put your salary as part of that. Right. Like if I, if somebody, if I get an investor in here, part of my monthly bill is my salary. I'm not yeah. going to just, I can't, if I got two kids, I would be and a wife. It would be totally reckless for me to open a spot that the monthly budget doesn't account or yearly budget doesn't account for a salary. And I think people end up doing stuff like that sometimes just to keep the engine running. And I'm not being dismissive of it. It's certainly like, I understand if it's the only tactic that makes it work, but I find it hard to be successful within that. Yeah. What, you know, it, it, what made them not think of that? What made them take that step? Was it just, they, they knew it was happening and and they went for, you know, like, uh, 
I forgot who I was talking to one time, but they, they said, make sure your finances are straight first, man. And it's like, they were working as like a, in just like a grocery store as they were starting their gym. And I can't remember who this was, but they were like, yeah, I just want to make sure that I had money in my pocket to pay myself out. And like, if you got to do that for a year, do that for a year, because at the end of the day, that's what's going to let you sustain in the next 10 years versus you made that crazy, reckless, angsty step. And now your business has failed in two years. Yeah. yeah, I don't, I think sometimes an opportunity comes up with like a space maybe might be real cool and it seems doable and maybe the right friend signs up and I don't know. I, I know fitness people, what's been really nice to see, and I'll, I'll say this from my introduction to, you know, Mark Fisher, even before I became a, a trainer there and, and certainly through Strength Faction is we're real keen on fitness education courses we're only, I feel like the, the, the growth into, and I don't mean masterminds, but the growth into business-minded courses is pretty new, I think, in terms of how mm-hmm. important that is. And I think a lot of us lose sight of that. And then suddenly, like, we just think we're great trainers. I don't mean that to sound douchey, but like, you know, you realize you have a competency in training, so we should open a space now so we can do things our way. But we haven't invested the same amount in the education of how to run a business, you know? And I think that's something that, is finally turning around and certainly I think strength action and Fisher in particular, probably the two big leading aspects of that for people, yeah. career coaches or newer business owners. So what, what makes you want to open a business versus just staying as, you know, rock in the apartment or even at some point renting space from uh, maybe like a boutique gym or something like that. So I would definitely rent space from a boutique gym. The, the couple of places, there's not a lot of places out. And that's what I think you were in, um, maybe might not have been on the Q&A. I was looking to rent space out of a, a, out of a local gym. And they, as we were starting to develop, talk further, and I was starting to develop a class program there, they closed. And then another friend's gym closed. Then someone sort of like led me around a bit. And I went to another couple of places and I just got the vibe that either my upfront was going to be very expensive and hard to beat, like hard to actually guarantee that I can make this profitable. And like one was going to be almost like a per class versus a monthly bill. And I think on another end, it, I came across, I can come across as competition. Right. So if you're another sort of just, uh, you are clearly different from CrossFit. If I'm coming in using kettlebells, barbells, uh, you know, if I was in a facility with barbells, I would use barbells. But if I'm coming in with my stuff, there's a lot more overlap. Yeah. That becomes, I think, viewed as like, well, what if he takes my members? What if, you know, the new people coming in just go to him? I I got a little bit of that vibe. Um, And I didn't get it in like expressed vocalization. I I got it in a little bit of lack of follow-up. And I've thought about yoga studios and dance spots around here as well. And it's just tricky. They tend to be small. And then the flooring, mat, storage of all the gear becomes a bit of an issue because none of these places are huge. I'm totally not against it, though. The main reason why I want to move out of here is I want to expand my classes because right now my schedule is based around, you know, we don't have any morning classes because my wife works. So I I, want to be, I don't want to have people coming in while she's getting ready. Mm-hmm. A couple of mornings a week, I take the kids to school and I don't want to hire a coach to come in and open up a class. I mean, financially, we're not busy enough yet to do that. But whereas if I had an external location, I could have morning classes, more offerings, bring on other people to cover prime spots, if that makes sense. Yeah, of course. Uh, also to sort of break down that barrier, even if it's not the most accessible place to find of like, hey, I'm going into a guy's apartment. So, you know, if you're not the Stoke Rogi, um, 
confident and I don't even care a gender. If you're like, you're buzzing on a, a person's apartment, you know, in my neighborhood is my side of the neighborhood is wonderfully industrial. So there's just like a little, it's like a little sketchy. Right. Yeah. And I like that. And once you, once you come in and get to know me, obviously it goes away, but I kind of want to remove that, that fear barrier because that is, you know, people are scared enough to go to a gym for the first time for the first yeah. 12 times. Uh, that, that I think is like a barrier for increased growth. I think if I had more, more accessibility and more class options, or training hour options, I think I'd be doing better. And it would okay. open up corporate, corp, me, me being able to make more definite like corporate deals and stuff. Uh, HR people aren't necessarily so psyched, psyched to make a, a deal with somebody who's training in their apartment. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like That makes know. sense. It's cool to see though, like coaches who are successful, like, uh, like the BSP guys with running a facility and then like the Jim Ferris guys that are just fucking crushing personal training every single day and you know just renting space out of uh, i assume that's what he's doing uh when i see him on instagram and stuff but it's cool to see like two different avenues where he could just be equally successful yeah you know the one thing for me is i, I didn't want to just do and I, I did it for the first year after i left mff i i, I very quickly realized i do not want to bounce around renting spaces from different locations and i just find until i started working more deliberately here i found it difficult to build up a, like a client base in one spot. Mm -hmm. I think that's been the nice catalyst of bringing everything home to Brooklyn. I only teach at Catalyst, uh, and they're my own independent clients, twice, two days a week, and it's really in the mornings only, and then everything else is Brooklyn. So not only has that helped me build a base here and, and a bit of a reputation here, but it's also that quality of life where I'm not commuting as much. I have more time for my kids. I can, I can hop on the podcast real quick you know between sessions or something yeah, that's so cool i could see kim like you know that i don't have that same level of day-to-day -day fatigue that i had when i was like mm -hmm. hustling back and forth to the city even if it was an mff or just juggling around the city doing independent sessions like and i know this could sound lame but like you get one of those days where you're like you have to bounce around to like four locations and it's snowing or raining and you're just like oh this fucking sucks i'm just over it yeah. um because there are those grinding aspects of our career and I think a lot of them are, a, a lot of us assume that's just part of the beast where, when it's more defining what you want it to be. Yeah, you put yourself in that situation. And for whatever reason, it was good for you at that time you made that decision. But after, you know, maybe a year, two years, three years of doing it, it can beat you up. We're all on our growth curve, right, man? Like you gotta, you gotta go through it to figure it out. You know, like uh, I'm grateful. I'm probably more grateful for most of the jobs I've had, no matter what the field was for the, for the years I struggled trying to trying to figure it out and then started to you know rise up a bit um it's usually in the years when you're doing really well that you start to feel a little disenchanted in terms of like is this what i wanted anyway so yeah. I, I like the hustle of it all uh not in a gary v way but i, I like what i do i like <laughs> the avenues that i have presented to me i do want to further centralize it into an exterior location um but i want to make sure again that i have a proof of concept that the right pieces are in place that I have the right, like accounting legal background behind it. Yeah. Huge. And all of that stuff so that it is solid. And it's not something I, I don't expect it to be an easy thing. I expect it to be a, a super struggle. So I don't want to sound cocky like, Oh, he doesn't know yet. Like I have enough friends that own facilities that I imagine there's going to be many, many sleepless nights and, and bouts of irritable bowel syndrome uh, coping with the pressures of it. But that seems worthwhile. That seems like the next place this goes.
Yeah, the next struggle you want to get into, almost. I, I think about, like, in the next, like, year or two years, like, am I going to look back on right now and be like, man, why didn't you just stick with that? And I'm like, no, like, that'll probably be a good spot to be in because I am going to be working towards, you know, owning my own facility with employees and all that stuff where then five years later from that, I'll be like, no, that was the right move, you know? Yeah, I think it's like, a, it, for me, it's always uh, what's your gut telling you, then what's your head telling you, and then really trying to, despite the fear and potential negative consequences, the hard part is assessing risk, right? Like, is this yeah. feasible or am I delusional? And I think that's a hard line. Um, and figuring out, like, is this feasible, I think has a lot more layers to it than most of us realize. And I'm, I'm saying that as somebody who's learning, like when I had a great chat with a friend last week about, about potential options, and what he, what he was bringing to the table was like eye-opening. You know, like I was like, oh, and uh, was, it, was it mainly money, money related? No, nah, well, it was money related, but it was also structurally, but also just how money could play into long term growth and adding in revenue, you know, forms of revenue streams in a realistic manner through that. Okay. And, and finding the right connections to make, you know, whether it's your merchandise, whether it's bringing in, you know, supplements. And I don't mean like forcing supplements. I mean, you know what I mean? Like we all have everybody tends to have some sort of like a protein bar or shake behind the thing, but like just interesting avenues of that, right? Where if you have the money up front, you can make all your gym swag like in a big order for like, you know, three bucks a shirt. If you have the right manufacturer, most of us go to custom ink, which is a pretty good deal, but still not $3 a shirt. Um, so those types of deals, but most of us don't have the money to go in with it that way. And I don't mean like opening up a crunch or something. I mean, like still opening up a boutique gym, but being able to set up like what's a proper monthly operating cost, including, you know, are we including merchandise? Are we including um, marketing costs? Are we including somebody to do social media? Are we including somebody to do the website or like most of us are doing? Are we doing Squarespace like I'm doing now on my own? You know, mm -hmm. those types of things. Because at some point, you have to have either somebody with you on the team doing it or you have to have somebody else doing it because there's just no way. There's no way you're going to do this and do all the training, do all the marketing, do all the updating, do all the you know things. And then I got to throw in like, you know, when I get in a groove on that stuff, like setting up workshops, promoting workshops, filling workshops, being ready to teach those workshops, traveling and all that stuff. It's a lot. And I don't want any of those things to suffer. And if anything's actually suffered from it, I think sometimes it's marketing of this podcast because I used to do more like, Hey, coming up this week is going to be this. And I do that less and less now because it's just, it's another step. Yeah. And I can't tell if that's hindered growth or if I've just hit my max after you're on this man, I expect to get like a fucking thousand more followers. <laughs> um, but I never looked at this for that anyway. So that's a, that's a decision yeah. for me to make, you know, on the podcast, I've been talking a lot about how I've been backing off of social media in a lot of ways. And, and what's bizarre about it is when I, when I took myself out of the pressure of perpetually posting or trying to perpetually post fitnessy stuff, because that's what trainers are supposed to do right now. Um, I've actually been way more productive doing things that I'm proud of getting out. Like yeah, I've done right. a bunch of DVRT tip videos that I think are like super fucking helpful if I do say so myself that like now I can come back at it from, you know, I've been in that program coming up nine years um, where, and I've taught now courses over for five where I can be like, okay, these are common things that I've seen with the thousands of people that I've either had in sessions, in classes, at courses, 
thousands might be an exaggeration, probably not that far off um, over five years. Five years, I would assume, yeah. Hundreds at least. Um, so I feel like I can deliver some clear things that help. Um, you know, I, don't, I stopped posting a lot of my own workout videos, but I did post today. We're recording this on the Sunday before the Monday this comes out. You know, I, I, I did 32K snatches, kettlebell snatches for the first time in oh. fucking like four or five years. Um, cause I was just stoked on it, but it was, you know, it was like, for me, that was like a personal thing coming back yeah. from having tremors two years ago and, and dealing with all that shit to just like being patient on a program, like realizing it doesn't take a whole lot if you're patient. Um, I was just stoked on it, but I've been putting out more now that I've, I sort of removed the pressure of it as a business item. And it's been a creative outlet. Like this podcast has become again. So it's weird. I feel like I'm putting out more now. I just think it's better, I guess. I think that's such an important concept is to, to keep it creative. And we lose it. I mean, we yeah. do lose it. And this is one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, <laughs> the way this, this episode came to be so rather suddenly was Kim and I are working on a new t-shirt. For years since high school, I draw this version of myself. Of course, back then it had hair. Uh, but for <laughs> about 20 years now, it has not had hair. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, almost 24 years now, it hasn't had hair. And when, you know, the announcement of even promote, me being promoted to master instructor for OS came out, the, 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 I forget what you call it, publicist, whoever, had this amazing tagline that was so overreaching of who I am that we're going to make a shirt. So Kim had the idea of I should use this drawing on the, on the shirt. It's going to be the O in Coach Fury, this face of mine. And, and, <laughs> And then you had posted up a picture, well, like a, like a, a, a wonderfully drawn picture as opposed to mine, but it was so similar in a way that I'm like, we got to fucking just make this happen. And you've done some cool stuff. And this is why I'm surprised you have signage. This will transition it well is you do such a good job with your branding and your image because it is you, you know, for anybody that gets to know you, um, you know, the mustache, the backwards hat, you had a, the, the wrestling belt, the championship belt. Oh, hell yeah. So hyped on that. You know, it's just like an awesome thing. And so with how you've been, and it all seems true to you, you know, like it's funny, the use of authentic and, and, and comes up a lot. Genuine comes up a lot. And I, I think so much that I'm starting to devalue those words a little bit, but it's you like, it's just, just like how Godzilla comes from me there's no strategy. It's just like, this is fucking rad. And I think people will enjoy it. And if they don't like, it's still a silly thing. Um, how have you found, let's, let's rephrase this question. Let's bring it back to the other thing. Being so good at Mark at branding yourself that way, right? The Stoke Brogy, Stoke athletics, right? Why don't you have signage? So I think it goes back to, I can't stress how low my rent is. I don't want to say it's low, how comfortable I am with the bills and rent I have to pay that I don't feel this need to be overzealously like here we are. And I almost, and like kind of like how your apartment is, it's almost like a litmus test when somebody first finds out about me and I tell them like, all right, I'm right here. Like, you know, go to this address, you'll see the CrossFit sign and then just walk in and go to the left and like how much trouble or they're willing to go through. I'm like, all right, this is going to be like a good client. This is somebody who's like going to rep hard, you know? And I almost feel, I guess, so comfortable in this spot right now that I don't want to go through the whole rigmarole, I guess, of like 
worrying about signage and worrying about that stuff when I know like in a year or so I'm going to be hopefully in my own building. Um, and then I'll worry about it then. It, it was just never something that I needed to do. Like people leads would hit me up and I'd be like, all right, come here. And they'd be like, okay. And they'd come and it was like that. And again, I'm in, I'm in such like an industrial area that like, I just don't, it might sound like wrong, but I just don't care enough. And I don't think it's as important as the other things on my plate right now, which is like, you know, growing the business, actually writing all the programs, writing all the online programs, creating content, things like that. So it's just never been one of the, the things in my plan. I would rather have, and I'm actually getting signs for inside the gym. I'd rather blow it out of the water inside the gym than anything outside. Yeah. I was thinking actually more for inside the gym as well. Oh it, yeah. There's stuff inside. When, when you, uh, when you get leads, where, where are most of your leads being generated for in-person training? In person? It's funny. Like I look at like all the different portions of my life, like whether it was like I was in high school, then I was in college then I worked at this place and I worked at that place. And it's cool to just see like people just from each, you know, part of my life is just like when people think training now they think, Oh Mike, like I'll just hit up Mike for whatever, you know? Um, and I think that's been a really, um, I've been, I don't say hashtag blessed, you know, but I feel like I've been really like thankful for the fact that like when people think fitness and, and if it's somebody who's in my life, they immediately think, Oh, let me hit up Mike. And whether it's just a random question or it's just, Hey, I want to start coming to your gym and working out. That's where I think most of them has come from. And then I think, you know, people might think it's through Instagram or whatever that I get a lot of my leads, but I think Instagram just works as a verification for like, somebody's thinking about training with me. So then they'll head over to my Instagram just to make sure. Uh, I would say maybe from Instagram, I got, you know, a handful, but most of it. And right now, like semi-private, I think I have 20 people in it. Uh, most of them are just people that I've known friends and then friends of friends or whatever. That's awesome. I, you know, it's one of the things that there was a time when I had to move back in with my folks in 2012 and I, I wanted to start training people out there on the days that I was going to be out there. It didn't work out the way, I'd wanted just my schedule was way different than I thought it was going to be, but it was really cool to see not even close friends, but a lot of people from high school that had, you know, we weren't even tight in high school. Some of us were, but had started reaching out like, yeah, let me know. Like I'd be yeah. down. And that's a really cool thing to have. Like, uh, you know, it's funny. I never really thought so much until you mentioned it that way, that idea of being like the home, you know, a hometown gym owner, you know, here, yeah. like I've, I've, you know, I've been in Brooklyn so long now. And I bounced around like a few neighborhoods. So I'm not too far from any of them, but I don't know if I have that base. Like, you know, I think the weird thing for me has been, you know, when I left five points, I didn't really take anybody with me. A couple of people followed. I wasn't trying to take people with me, but a couple of people that were like one-on-one -on -one followed. When I left MFF, a couple of people followed. Same deal. I wasn't, I never went to everybody, hey, train with me. I never did one of those big box purges when you leave and you, you tell all 30 of your clients, like, you know, I was just like, that's not cool. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Because I was dealing with companies that I believed in. I didn't want to like, you know, shaft anyone. Yeah, of course. Uh, but that also meant every time I made a big change, it was like, holy shit, I'm starting from zero again. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's taken me a little bit to build that up and have the confidence to be, okay, like, this is Fury Industries. This is what we do. These are our offerings. These are our prices. And, you know, I just, I just gave uh, myself a raise. Like, I just upped my rates for the first time in so long. Um, because again, like I am trying to have that ownership of like, if you're going to come to train with me for these things that like I have word of mouth about, like I deserve a raise. My rent's going to go up no matter what. 
You know, mm -hmm. I had a talk with a buddy that, you know, just got a promotion, you know, at a big box gym. And he was talking about, you know, giving up the, the, the new shirt and the title. He's like, ah, the title doesn't mean, mean as much because there's so many other people that have this title that might be better or might be worse than me. And I'm like, dude, but you get paid more with that title. He's like, yeah, but, but I'm like, there is no but. Is, 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 is your bills aren't going to get cheaper. Yeah. You know, so there's that, that aspect of business. Um, and I think, you know, people, again, like they're going to come to you at your spot. They're going to go through that litmus test of finding a location. And it's you they're buying into, right? It's not like the gimmick of, uh, you know, an orange theory or the gimmick uh, of an I love kickboxing. Not saying there's bad coaches there, but that is like the, the draw through the door is the initial gimmick. Yeah. Most people don't even know. They're, they're like, what type of training do you do when, when they walk in? They know it's like strength training, but like they expect some sort of like, oh, is it like I wear the heart rate? And I'm like, no, like, well, you know, I'll shape it to what you're more into, obviously, but like not strength training. But like, yeah, yeah. Like, like those places, like they know automatically like what Arnold Sears is about, what I love kickboxing is about. So, yeah. And um, it, it's so funny you say that, though, because one of the weird things with me, especially as an independent, is people will, you know, read my reviews or they see that I've done workshops. And most of them, I think most of my people are word of mouth or from workshops and, and through like the Dragon Door website or my own website. Like I have, you know, decent reviews, but they hear the name and they see me looking like a prisoner and they're expecting some sort of brutal beat down work, you know, prison, oh, yeah. prison style workout. And I'm like, nope, <laughs> that's not my shit at all. Yeah, you'll probably just feel good after this. Like, that's yeah, you're, you're probably just going to be on a, on a perpetual curve to awesomeness without that beat down whatever you feel you need to punish yourself with um how do you do well most of your people know you though it's one of the things that i've seen happening more and more and i think it's because as i'm older as i'm getting older and longer in this business i'm getting you know clients like i'll be like their their second third or even fifth sort of training commitment right like they've spent some time at one place they move they spend some time at another place and I'm, I'm having to slow down that expectation of beat downs. So when you have somebody that's coming in for strength training, strength training, generally speaking, is intense, but in a slower curve yeah. than what most people would consider a beat down. Yeah. How do you set that expectation up? Because I think that's hard for a lot of coaches to do. I think it's, so I stole the whole little questionnaire thing from Strength Faction, the BSP guys, where it's like, you know, just during the eval, I'm just asking them like, all right, like how important to you is sweating during your workout? Because... I mean, I've, you know, trained powerlifters, I've competed powerlifting, like, there's some workouts where, like, it's a hard fucking workout, it's like, you're, you're deadlifting everywhere, you're squatting heavyweight, like, all that, but you might not even, like, break a sweat if it's, like, not a hot day, like, because it's, like, you do a couple sets, and you're chilling, you know, you do a couple reps, you're chilling, like, whatever, so it's a good question to ask, and, and kind of gauge, like, because a lot of people think sweat means I worked hard, and, like, maybe you have a conversation about it to clarify that, like, you know, you could have a great strength training workout, maybe without even sweating, you know, some people aren't sweaters, but if they are somebody who's like, no, sweating is important to me, then it's like, cool, you're getting like a little Metcon-y thing at the end of the workout. And yeah. so it's like, warm up, you know, be strong for a bit, do your accessories, get jacked for a bit, and then sweat for a bit. And that's how, usually how I'll like play with their type of training. So that they're still getting the meat and potatoes of like some heavier lifting, some accessory lifting to, to you know, guide them to their goal. And then like, all right, here's some, med ball slams and i bought one of those like sand dune sprinters because again like i'm in 950 square feet what's a sand dune sprinter 
So it's oh, or sand dune stepper. It's called. It's oh, okay. Basically, like maybe four or five inches, maybe even bigger than that, six inches of like a foam memory foam pad, like, uh, and it has a slight incline to it, so you just run in place on it. Or yeah, there's a million things you could do on it. I was using it as like a hip thrust uh, pad, um, things like that. But I've <laughs> such limited space. I want people who want to get a sweat on in a small amount of space. Like, here's a good one. Get your heart rate up. Run in place on this thing. Like your calves are burning. Like you're 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 starting to get your heart rate up, which is sick. Um, or like I'll throw in like, you know, just a, a med ball complex or whatever it is, you know, uh, ropes, sled work, things like that. And most people walk away from that. They're like, wow, you know, like I really felt that. I feel like I got my ass kicked there. And it's like, that's awesome. Like now you're bought into the program a little bit more. You're still getting the things I want you to get and you're happy. So that's awesome. Yeah. It's funny when, when you mentioned that the stepper thing, all I could think about at first was, do you ever read Rolling Stone magazine? Yeah, here and there. Remember in the back, they always used to have those like cushions, like they're like sex cushions. <laughs> they're like positional foam cushions. Yeah, yeah. It's, that's it's, what went through my head, but that's how my brain works. Um, yeah. And man, I wish that the, the two things that I wish I had space for, and I've never actually really been in a place that had space for them, is like a sled and, and like a proper full length battling rope. Five points we had a battling rope, but like I've never been in a place that we could do sleds. And it's so funny when you think about, you know, having to define your, your, your methodology around a space. Like if I had more space, so much of what I do would be different. Of course. Be more sled, crawl, carry, barrel training type stuff that gets the strength training, gets the reset stuff, reset value, but also, man, people, people realize they're working really hard. You know, it's like that, what, what Tim Anderson would call farm work, just a ton yeah. of farm work. And yeah. that stuff is it's so low technique in a lot of ways. Like it's hard to hurt yourself on that type of stuff. Yeah. It's super self-limiting, especially the sled man. Yeah. Or if you've ever done anything, I, you know, I, it deserves to be more popular than it is, but I understand why it's not to some degree, but Brookfield had a barrel training cert, John Brookfield. And I don't know if he still does it, but I did it at, at OS a few years ago. And it's just basically you fill up like a, you know, they were using rain barrels or pickle barrels. Again, easier to come by when you're in North Carolina it costs like 30 bucks out there used and you fill it up with sand or water and you literally just push, pull, turn. And I'm trying to imagine what it looks like. Is it like a keg shaped or what is it's, it's bigger than a keg. If you've ever seen somebody in an apartment have like a rainwater collector barrel, it's just a bigger barrel than a keg. Okay. Um, so it would probably be, you know, trying to I can't remember the exact height maybe around four feet three and a half to four feet off the floor and it's got a lip and you fill it with sand or you fill it with water and again there's no official brand it's just whatever one yeah you and you just put on like work gloves so you don't scratch your hands up and stuff and you just it wood? what was that is it wood no it's plastic oh yeah so the barrel itself weighs nothing uh I'll send you a link. Folks, I'll put up a link to this thing and show you Wait, some. Wait, the big blue barrels I see? Is that what a, a rain Yeah. Oh, okay, I know what you're talking about, yeah. All right, I didn't know yeah. that that was a rain barrel. If you imagine somebody like like a, a conspiracy truck loaded with nuclear waste in like a plastic barrel, that's probably that what it is. Okay, and you're just pushing it? And you're pushing it and pull it, tilting it, rocking, not not like down the, the turf or anything, but rocking it back and forth, turning oh. it. Um, you could partner up one side or the other. It's kind of an insane training session because you're hitting all your stabilizers all your prime all your prime movers um but because you're it's all reflexive in nature you sort of go into a good position no matter what it was awesome that's super cool 
Yeah, man. But you need to have the space. So for me in Brooklyn, in my apartment, that's a no, no. Uh, and I would, I would need some, but if you go to, if you ever get out to original strength Institute in uh, North Carolina, Tim's got a bunch of them. It's super fun. You know, like balance beam stuff for fun. It's just having the space to do them. Yeah. Is it, is it going to be a hindrance to the flow of your, your space and everybody's program? Yeah. And I think it does come down to like, regrettably, like, is this a pro like this, when you have small space, you really have to think like, am I losing money on that corner? Or am I making money on that corner? Yep. You know, cause I'm, I'm a, I'm a believer that like, yeah, you might, there might be gear that I wish I had here, but it's not profitable for the space. Uh-huh. So I can always find something like, can I do everything I'd want to do in this apartment? No. Can I do most of what I want to do at this apartment? Yes. Can yeah. I make somebody like, will their training response suffer because I don't have barbells here? No. Uh, unless they're going to be a competitive power lifter and then I would refer them to you or somebody else. Right. Like, so there's, there's always those aspects. Um, Let's shift gears. I want to ask you about online coaching because uh, through strength faction, you know, and just in the fitness industry in general, online coaching has been for at least a year and a half to two years now, a real hot topic. And I think, you know, how we similarly, we were talking about business owners. Do we think they're doing that well? I think there's a real false impression about how much money and how well people are doing off of online coaching. Uh, and I think there's a ton of variables and I think you do something somewhat similar to me because you had posted up a lot of your information when somebody asked, let's talk about this. Explain what your style of online coaching is and we'll go from there. So just in terms of like, is it, is it personalized? Is it pay, paying for, you know, a group program, mm-hmm. explain your process out a bit. It's definitely personalized. Uh, I played with the, I had a thing called the Live Rat Academy, which was a, a group program, but I ended that uh, at the end of the last year. I ran it for one year, um, but I, I like the one-on-one programming method a little bit more. Um, the way it works is, you know, somebody, a lead will come in, we chat a bit, uh, they decide if they want to do it. I always tell them, you know, we can hop on a call and talk first if you want to, you know, hear more. Uh, but generally people will just sign up and we'll schedule a, a video call. So they'll fill out a form, uh, asking them a ton of questions. We hop on a call, we discuss those things, what their goals are, any injury history, things like that. Um, same little, like what does sweating mean to you? You know, like on a scale of one to five, how bad do you want to sweat? How bad do you want to be sore? How important is heavy weight to you? How important is, uh, you know, variability or, or changing things up important to you, all that stuff. Then once that's done, I write them their program. And it's a four-week program normally, you know, competitive powerlifters or anybody. Like, I have some fighters online, too. You know, if I got to screw around with it and make it six weeks or three weeks or whatever, uh, each block can be like that. Um, and then once a week, what, how it works is they have a, they have a, we have a shared Google Drive folder with um, resources in there, um, another folder for them to drop videos in, their program. Uh, that's basically it. And then once a week, they send in an email, which there's a template in the resource folder on their Google Drive, which they just pop in, uh, they copy paste it, they fill out the questions like, you know, how was this week? What are three things you think was great? What is one thing you think you could work on? Like all those questions, um, any big things that I need to know? Um, bunch of, you know, even just some like, any albums you listen to you think I would be interested in? Just some like, you know, so we could like chat a bit after that. Um, and each week they're sending in those uh, check-ins, and then at the end of the four weeks, you know, they have the option to hop on a video call 
and then I write them their new program and we wash, rinse, repeat, you know? Um, awesome. Yeah. And do you, you get, do you find, do you struggle with people actually doing those check-ins? I don't know if it would be struggling because I understand like I would not be per a person who checks in. I'm so bad with that shit. I would, you know, they, you know, on their, on their program too, they fill in their weights and stuff. So I ask a lot of them, but I also tell them that none of this is mandatory. It's just the more you do, the more I can pull from it and can, you know, curve your program to where we need to be. Um, I feel that don't do any of it and it works perfect because I know them, they know me. We've been working for a year plus and we just go every month like that. Uh, some people, they fill in, you know, every single weight that they use, they fill in how they felt on the program, then they check in and they give me paragraphs and that's great too. You know, they're putting in every set of every, uh, you know, exercise they do into the video thing. Um, other people, they don't do any of that. So it's, it's super, you know, when I, and I, when I started like planning out how exactly I wanted it to be or when, as it's been shaping, I always keep in mind that like, you know, right now I have 20 online clients, I think, and I know that I'm not going to be responding to 20 check-ins every week, you know, and I wouldn't set aside the time for that because I know that's just not how it's going to happen. I probably get 10 really thorough check-ins a week that like take up the time of sitting down and blocking off three hours to answer. Um, but for the most part, it's, you know, messages, maybe on Instagram, like, oh, how'd that feel? You know, it felt good, sick. Yeah, that, that's how it, it's similar with me. I've struggled with it took me a little while not to take it personally, like the lack of check-in because I was equating that with I'm not doing a good enough job. But then you realize that like, yeah, I don't, I wouldn't be a good person. Like I'm like a shitty accountability buddy in that way that like I get caught up in my own shit. I'm just going to do my thing and, and move on. Um, totally. Getting used to people like, you know, like you said, training with me for years that some people are real good um, about checking in. I do a weekly check-in. So I just send out an email. Hey, how's it going? And based on the previous answers, like how's the sleep been this year? How are you feeling on your getup? Like it's trying to make some specifics. And sometimes it's just like, how has it been going? How has your training been going? Um, and then on week three, going into their fourth week at the end of week three, I'll be like, Hey, like considerations for the next program, any goals change, any things you'd like to see to continue work on? Like I, I tend to have a lot of coaches, so they tend to be more like, um, you know, working towards a cert or want to get good at a get up or want to get good at something gotcha. in you know, DVRT land. So we're skill training specifically for certain items. Um, how do you deal with, or, or do you have any sort of video assessment you have them go through? And then how do you know that they're, what do you use as a gauge for technique or do you even other than the videos, your, your, your exercise library? It's, it's going to depend on the type of athlete um, or client. If it's a powerlifter, I always ask for a squat bench deadlift video right before I write a program. Um, if it's just a general, uh, you know, strength client, it's just like, hey, do you have any videos or an Instagram that I could just creep through real quick? And if it's a fighter, I might ask for a couple more things. And, you know, the assessment for the fighters are a little different. I ask for, um, you know, I have them do a couple aerobic tests and stuff like that just to see where they're at for their conditioning. Um, it's going to depend on each one. Uh, but sometimes it's, you know, if it's a general strength, most of the time they don't have anything. It's not, you know, if you're just a, a normal everyday person, you might not be filming sets of anything. So it's just, you know, week to week when I, their videos come in, I'm like, all right, now I have a better idea of your squat. Let's do this instead. But it's sometimes it's, you gotta, you know, uh, wait till that first week to see like, all right, where do I got to reassess here? Yeah, it's tricky because I don't get a lot of video feedback from, but I'm, I'm fortunate again, since they're coaches, like I know there's a baseline of movement quality. 
Uh, and then yeah. those are the ones that I'll get, but it's the gen pop sometimes that I'm like, I'm not quite sure. Um, so I try to schedule stuff up on that, but I think, and I'm saying this less, even somewhat less, I'm bouncing your, how, if I can glean any ideas off of you, but I think the outside world wonders, like, how do you keep people safe? And one of the things that I think about is it's a, it's your decision-making, right? You have to make smart decisions in terms of your exercise selection. You, you, you don't put snatches on. Mm -hmm. oh, hold on one second. Hey buddy, I hear you. That does not work at all. <laughs> Love you though. Sorry, my son just decided to go outside the door and play Fortnite uh, with his buddies, <laughs> like right, right on the edge of the hallway. Um, but I think you know there, there's a thing where it's like you you have safe exercise selections that make sense, and sometimes for some of my people, especially in the beginning, they get a little bored by their programs because like, hey, look, we haven't developed any qualities yet that I safe to progress you on something, uh, and just making that. Maybe I don't say it quite in that way, but building that up mm -hmm. because there is that thing, right? So the way I view it, and this was an eye-opening for me between classes, semi-private training and one-on-one -on -one training is like, look, you're going to get the most attention at the highest price point of personal training. That's just the fucking fact, right? You're paying for that. It's going to be slightly diminished, but more cost value in semi-private training. And you're going to get the least amount of attention in a class because there's many other people there. And you're, what you're paying for is based on that. Online training, you have to put in the perspective of that is like, it's not necessarily cheap. I think our rates are actually comparable. I don't know if you want to, you don't feel, don't feel, uh, uh, you don't no, feel, totally. yeah. there, but, but I, I'll say, cause it's on my website, I, it's 200 a month with a three month minimum for me. And, uh, mm -hmm. and you know, like you're going to get the program and I'm going to send reach outs every week or so. And hopefully it works. And I know yeah. there's people that it's wonderful. And then there's people that like, you know, they're looking for an online coach to add the level of accountability. And sometimes that's not enough accountability. You know, they really need a personal trainer to have that, like, I'm going to get my ass to the gym or lose money type of thing. That's, that's a, that's a personality trait, not a fail of the coach. Uh, so I think that's something that uh, coaches when they're, when they're trying to think about online coaching, don't quite understand. Um, but let's Is that what? That not everybody can be an online client. Yeah. And, or yeah. even how to program. Cause like you might love that you're certain shit and, and, and think that that's going to be the greatest thing for everybody, but it's just not, no. not, when you're not in the room with them. I mean, that is like, a, it's like a big responsibility to be like, Hey, I'm going to give you nine exercises to do. And here's my how to video. And in some ways they're going to do a strength Jane Fonda on their own. You know what I mean? Like they're going to try to follow a video. I mean, not like follow along, but they're going to get the core aspects of what that movement should be from your video. And yeah. you're not there to make sure they don't have the rounded back or, or not. I, I never usually rely on the video as a way to teach the exercise, but it should almost be like a, like, I, I feel like I get a good amount of like qualified leads where the people who are following me are people who are already into fitness. So if I were to, you know, get hop on that initial call after being on a form or checking out somebody's form and I'm like, all right, so tell me about it. They're like, I've never listened in my life. I'm like, well, this isn't going to work. You're better <laughs> off training in your area. Or, you know, like it's, it's more of just like a video of the lift. So they're like, Oh yeah, that one. Okay. Yeah. There's a million names for every fucking exercise. I have a mix where I have some very, where I'm verbal about all the cues and all the steps. And then I have some where I'm like very, just like this is yeah. what it is. Right. But yeah. I do get a mix because I have, you know, the, some of the people I have will be, you know, people that have done kettlebell classes or I have some people that are body weight only cause they haven't done any classes. And I'm like, I'm yeah, okay. Sure. Like here's, here's follow along with like a body weight program. Cause that's what they're going to do anyway. You know, in some ways, so even say for, if somebody's going to do a bunch of push-ups, I'm going to show them at least the safest way to have their shoulders and their arms in an effective way. 
as opposed to a lot of the random shit you see. So I know they're going to get a better quality training experience just from if it's if all I'm doing is inducing some safety factors that they're not even aware of. In terms yeah, of, of course. Right. So there's a benefit yeah. there. Now let's talk, man. So 20, and this is, uh, I, I, you mentioned this is strength factor. 20s is an awesome number. Like, cheers to you, dude. I think that's like an incredibly successful online training program. Thank you. Where, where do you get most of your leads for that? Is it the same sort of base? No, 100%. Well, not, I wouldn't say 100. Mostly Instagram. A lot of it is Instagram. And then just like building off of that. Oh, awesome. Like referrals from people. So people are seeing your, your Instagram posts and then, and then signing up? Yeah, 100%. Well, listeners, I would say maybe like a handful of people who are, you know, knew me from high school or college or whatever. So listeners, all that shit I've been saying about Instagram not working or social media not working to build your business. <laughs> here's an example of it working. <laughs> That's no, awesome. Yeah, but at, at the same time, I think it's only been built because going back to the genuine aspect of it, I don't think I've tried to play that whole like, all right, I need to have, you know, this type of post. I need to have, you know, posts of me explaining an exercise. And I, I rarely do that anymore now, you know. It's mostly just, if you look at my Instagram, it's mostly just me ranting on a fucking random picture or something, you know, or like <laughs> going in on some topic. And I'm like, most people aren't even going to fucking read this, you know. Yeah. But the ones that do, like, they, it's obviously some of them signed up, I guess, you know. Yeah, it's, it's I, I think the best posts whether it's a big, like long, like I, you know, I feel like lately I've been doing longer ones, but uh, short ones are not, or, or just like when, when, when you connect on a personal level, I think most people, I think, I think a lot of us in trainer land think that our social media is for, um, to establish expertise. But I actually think for like you and I, for an example, like the expertise is going to show up in the work that you do, the fact that you can still do it. And it's, it's somehow in the essence of all the photos, even if it doesn't show anybody else. I don't know if that makes any sense, but there's a level yeah, of, of like where you, you see somebody and you can just, you get a quality about them that you're, you're assuming, right or wrong, assuming a level of expertise. And then it's the personality that sells it. Right. Yeah. I think, and then I think you, that's a huge part. And then you hope it's the two match, right? Cause the sad reality about fitness for better or worse is like you could be the most educated coach in the world and have like a crap bland personality and have zero clients, or you could be the most personable charismatic person in the world and have the bare minimum of coaching knowledge and do really, really well. And then there's yep. a lot in between where you have personality and no coaching knowledge. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's so many levels of that. Um, and I think one of the things we all see now is online coaching. And I know this has come up in strength faction a lot. People that are bare, like practically brand new coaching. Like you could probably count that. I can't, yeah. in, in, I can't back that, you know, under a hundred hours of coaching time talking about building their online base. It's like how online coaching is so much harder than in person. Cause yep. your communication has to be on point. Cause like every word of a sentence in a way, has to make sense and be direct. It can't, you yeah. can't ramble or backpedal on an email or on a call like this. Uh, it's crazy. For, for someone who's maybe new and contemplating online coaching as a viable option, what would be a piece of advice, either pro or against it? Dude, I'm always, and you know, I've talked about this topic so many times now. It's like, work as a trainer, be a personal trainer in a big box gym or be, you know, everybody should at least 
have some sort of experience in person before they're jumping online. And I see so many, it's so prevalent dude, in powerlifting where people are, you know, just like college kids who powerlift and they have an online coach. So they're getting into it, whatever. And then they're like, you know, they help their one friend, you know, they did a dead bug with their friend because their coach prescribed to them and now their friend's back doesn't hurt. So they're like, Oh, I can make money off this. And all right, let me try this. And, you know, and they just start like peddling some program online. I'm like, I'm like, dude, you have no idea what you're doing right now. Like you, you might have an idea of how to program and that's fine. Say, even if you could write the best program ever, I don't give a fuck. If you can't coach it, it doesn't mean anything. So these kids are just like getting used to like, you know, Oh, you know, my coach program this, this, and this, and I see other people doing this. So they have a better idea how to like program, you know, their squats and then, Oh, you know, and then accessories should come after your squats. All right. I got that down. So they're doing that with their friends. And it's like, it, it, I've seen so many people just start that and end within months because they're like, Oh, there's all this like follow up thing. And what coaching really is is just being a personable, you know, person really and, and helping others and things like that. The, the training is, it's 50, 50. And I think people don't realize that. So I would say biggest piece of advice is just please coach first in person. I don't know if there's a set amount of time that you would need to, I, I don't know what that would be, but like, please just get some hours coaching and training and, working hands-on with people, not hands-on in that aspect, but like, you know, putting people in good positions and understanding how person A might respond to a cue and person B might respond to a cue because over time you, you can, you can start relating all your clients to, you know, the clients that you saw in person and you have a way better way of assessing and, and acting on your program then. Yeah, I fully agree. You have to have like a, a ton of coaching hours and, it, and also just, you have to program. I've also, the, the craziest part of it is, is, you know, programming doesn't have to be overly complicated, but like you have to know what you're doing to a degree. And, and I've seen people literally promote that they're going to do online coaching that I've seen zero programming experience from like zero Yeah. or they've picked up little bits from other people's blog posts or, you know, from an online thing that they bought from someplace else. And I don't mean like online, like you and I do like a digital download program and they just start putting the pieces together. And I, it's like, you know, that's like, fucking reckless if we want to like flat out call it what it is it's like saying you know i don't know like i just bought a gun so now i'm gonna go get you know get dropped off in a war area and become a soldier or even worse start giving uh license exams like gun license exams after your first time so yeah and i think you know the the piece of advice that i give is and I love that you're, you're, you are nailing it on this. And I think I do all right. Like I generally have between eight and 15 people. I only want, I don't want any more than 15 people. Yeah. And, and the transitions come up and down. Like right now I have a bunch of people for an RKC that's next week. So I'm going to have some spots opening up. So listeners, Hey, I have spots <laughs> opening up. Uh, of course you can go and train with Mike as well. Um, but I don't want too many because after that it becomes like a stressor and unfun. And but I, so I think, so if you go anywhere between eight and 20 is, I think is actually probably a very successful, um, program. I think there's this idea of like limitless, like that you and I are just going to, you know, like somebody could just, I don't want to say average trainer, but meaning you do well at a big box gym that suddenly that's going to equate to like a massive trainer program, or you're at a hot boutique gym, but you're one of the training team in a hot boutique gym. Like, do you have enough outside reach? that this is going to grow into a big program for you. And I think a lot of people think that that's easier to do. Like, Oh, I'm going to get like, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 clients and make a ton of money and not need to work. And yeah. 
it's really hard to get people to buy in on a digital medium that way. I think Very hard. And I think a lot of it comes from, you know, people are just like, you know, I see coaches and they're like, yeah, you know, I'm programming for a couple of my friends. I'm like, all right, what are you charging? And they're like, Oh, you know, like $50. And I'm like, well, yeah, no shit guy. Like most people will sign up for $50. And like, if you think you're going to build this to 50 people, you know, like, do you understand the work involved with that? And then how much will you be making off that? What's 50, you know, times 50 a month right there. Like, you're not making as much as you like you think you are. And it's going to be a ton of fucking work. Like to find that balance of I'm getting paid what I, I feel like I'm valued at. And I'm at like my level of not burnout work capacity, like so much harder than people think. Yeah. I think that's actually probably the magic trick or like the, you know, the ultimate salute, ultimate solution. Sorry. I'm part Jewish. That sounded fucking hard. <laughs> As yeah. I was saying, and I'm like, oh, um, <laughs> uh, but you know, I think that is actually finding that balance, that work-life balance and the yeah. aspects of fitness life, whether it's teaching courses, doing online coaching, semi-private training, private training classes, all that stuff, like finding what's the right mix and what's the bare minimum and what's, what's to some degree the maximum for you as a person. And then like as, an, as a business owner and as me as wanting to grow into a business owner, an exterior business owner, you know, like that's when you start hiring people because that financially makes sense versus I think a lot of times, again, going back in the beginning, we're just kind of like, I'm going to do this thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it'll all come. Uh, but I have seen, you know, so for your online program coming out of Instagram to have that many people, you have the history of coaching to back that up. Mm -hmm. I don't think people realize that like, you might be like, you know, there might be some woman that like looks super sexy, you know, doing that whole Instagram thing right now. Um, or a dude with a shirt off, you know, do, doing that thing right now without a lot of coaching experience. And you might get some bites, but you're probably gonna get more likes than you're gonna get leads. Yep. And I think that's a lost thing that people don't quite realize. And I'm seeing it kind of more and more that there's like a younger generation coming up focusing more on the professionally shot photo than just cranking hours on the floor. Yeah. Um, or seeing where their money is going to come from. I don't think the build's going to come from those photos as much as if you just really focus on being a better trainer. Not that they're bad trainers necessarily, but just we all need to continue to become better. No, if that's what your focus is on, man. Like, what's your retention rate? I'm so curious. You know, like yeah. once you, once you, yeah, you, I'm sure I would, I would argue that they'll probably get a ton of leads from that. You know, like, but once it happens, once they sign up, how long are they staying for? You know. Yeah. It, it's so, it's funny. I think when I started getting into coaching, so I took my first courses in 2010. You know, this is before I was considered, I just wanted to get good at stuff and learn about it. I, I wasn't planning on being a trainer. And then, you know, assisting at stuff was a big deal. And I think that's still a big deal. Um, but like we would travel to assist at things. Like we would make like an effort, invest our own money in assisting at things, whether it was an RKC or DVRT or whatever course it was an opportunity to get better at it and to get like refreshed at it and yeah. see how another teacher presented it, you know, it's, and to work with other trainers. Right. Cause that's a, a whole other thing. Yeah. And I feel like to some degree people are diminishing that aspect of, and that led to career building, right? Like before I ever became leadership in anything, I started getting money from trainers training for RKCs and SFGs and all that stuff and DVRTs. Like if I didn't have the leadership role, I was already had, through assisting gigs had established a reputation that I know what I'm doing in those, in those aspects. Mm -hmm. And also it's got the, the training of myself of like having this stuff, just like 
you know, when I think back at, uh, uh, obviously Josh Henkin and I are close in terms of the pedigree there, but when I think of all of the amazing kettlebell instructors that I've had the uh, benefit of learning from, not just like during the course, but also like, here's Mark Cheng, like taking me through a snatch test, you know, or, you know, Doug Nepadal or Pavel or Brett, you know, like all these big names. Um, it's kind of amazing. And that helped set me up moving forward. And I just think a lot of people are missing that step because they're focusing on that, like that image and those likes versus building your reputation outward. Cause that is for me, true outward reach where that led to me being able to fill courses that led to me being able to have an online program because most of those people knew of me through certifications, either assisting at first and then teaching them or teaching them. Um, that was a little bit of a ramble. Folks, <laughs> fuck it. I will say this, and this is a Dan John thing. I haven't heard him say this in a while, but like show up, but go out and travel, like get out of your own gym, get out of your in service. Like that's one of the biggest reasons I want to get to the point where I have employees is like, I'm seeing so many sick gyms out there, like just crush them and be like, can I just shadow you for a week? Like I would love to just go on a vacation, just show up during the day and like, you know, two hours a day, three hours a day, just like shadow these awesome coaches and, and see how their gyms run. You know, but like, it's so hard right now for me. And it's like, I cannot wait for that moment where I can do that. Yeah. I feel the same way. I want to be able to have that opportunity to bring people in um, and, and, and help support them, you know, help mentor them and, 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 and try to help them grow the way that I feel like I've been very fortunate to have people back in my program. Yeah. Um, to sort of like let that be a pass on um, to pay that forward. But hey, dude, we have been talking for a while and I've got to go get the kids ready for like dinner and showers and shit because they got to go back to school after winter break. Oh, yeah. um, where can people find you? Um, I guess the best places are for one Instagram at the stoked brogy and then at stoked athletics is the stoked one. Um, that's really all that matters for me. I don't, right. I don't got too big of anything else anywhere. All right, cool. Hey, man, at the end of every show, the guest tells the listeners to die mighty. Can you tell them to die mighty? Die mighty, my friends. Mike, thank you so much for coming on, man. It was awesome talking. This went way fast. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for having me. That was awesome. If the kids didn't have to go to school tomorrow, if I didn't have to prep them, we, I, I could talk for a lot longer. So we'll have to get you back on down the line. So I have a rule with that, too. So I said the same thing to Casey. For me to get back on, it has to be in person, and we have to be, like, kicking it. All right. It won't be at Swell Taco, though. That's fine. I'll come to Brooklyn. <laughs> All right, man. I like the sound of that. I'll yeah. hit you up the next time I'm in town. Uh, Sounds good, man. Go to visit my folks. <laughs> For sure, yeah, yeah. All right. Later, brother. Later, man. The Coach Fury Podcast is created, owned, and produced by Steve Coach Fury Holliner for Fury Industries, LLC. Music provided by The FTW. Visit the FTW.NYC for band, tour, music, and merch info. Artwork created by Glenn Gurrieta. Visit glengurrieta.com. That's G-L-E-N-N-U-R-I-E-T-A. Or follow him on Instagram at Glenn Gurrieta. Voiceover by Laura Palmer. <laughs>